This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. Welcome back. Raise shields. Divert energy to the deflectors. Engage Heisenberg compensators. Maximize inertial dampeners. Buckle up. We are back for another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I am Jordan Hoffman, your host. Welcome back. And um, we got some good stuff this week. Big, big episode this week. Uh, We're going to be rolling out two interviews that I recorded at the Lost Wages convention um, earlier this month. We are going to speak to um, uh, some cool guys of Star Trek. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to say bros because bros has a negative connotation. But uh, these are cool dudes. These are men. These are cool guys with good haircuts, maybe tattoos, possibly can ride motorcycles. I don't know. Uh, we're going to speak to J.K. Woodward, who is a comic book illustrator and artist and painter who has a very unique process and has been involved in um, Star Trek comics and other comics uh, for years now, uh, involved in some of the big ones uh, coming up, and was the artist who worked very closely with Harlan Ellison on IDW Publishing's uh, adaptation of the original City on the Edge of Forever script, which if you haven't read and ye call yourself a Star Trek fan, uh, you, you should check it out. It's pretty It's pretty uh, legendary. And um, he's got some really cool stories about working with Harlan Ellison. Um, and uh, so you definitely want to stick around for that. But before we talk to JK, we spoke with uh, Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating uh, from Enterprise. Trip Tucker and Malcolm Reed, two of my favorites, and they were a lot of fun. They had just come back from lunch, they had had a few glasses of wine, and we'll let it roll from there. So uh, you're going to dig these two episodes, uh, two uh, interviews. Um, before we get to that, though, not a big week in terms of news. Uh, you know, last week we had uh, all the Star Trek Discovery news out of the TCA announcements, and we discussed them at length in last week's episode which you can click on if you didn't get to it. Uh, That episode uh, also featured interviews with um, uh, Robert Picardo um, and Dayton Ward. Uh, But so this week, nothing. it's August. Everybody's on vacation. The only only people working are you. Only people working are you and me. 
Everybody, that is us, just us schmucks are working. Everybody else is out. You go to your go to your Instagram feed. Look at Facebook. Everybody's on the beach. You and I are stuck at work. My God. Um, but we're having a good time. And uh, I went to the, I want to go to the mailbag. I put out a request on Twitter. You can tweet at me at at Jay Hoffman, at Jay Hoffman. That's J-H-O-F-F-M-A-N, or just use the hashtag EngagePod. And I check out that hashtag periodically, EngagePod. Um, but I said, hey, knowing that there'd be not too much to talk about at the top of this episode, um, well, let's go to the mailbag. So I got a, a number of, of questions and comments. A lot of nice comments from, from listeners all over the place. You know, we have listeners in Sweden. We have two, at least two individuals from Sweden who listen. We have a lot of people in Scotland who listen, which I find lovely because of, um, you know, engineer uh, Montgomery Scott. And I've been to Scotland. Scotland's very nice. I was there when I was 10, but I remember it being very nice. And um, I've uh, been interacting with a guy from New Zealand. Actually, we have three people from Sweden. Three individuals from Sweden listen to this show. Because I met a Swede um, and, and he's his companion uh, who listened to the show uh, at the convention. So, uh, big ups to Sweden. What's up, Norway? What, no love from Norway? Get out of here, stinking Nors. Swedes, where it's at. All right. Um, uh, yes. So let's go to the mailbag. Uh, I want to read. So we got a lot of nice comments from people. One guy from New Zealand told me a funny story, but it's uh, I'm not going to get into that one today. Um, from Clovis, California, John S. Um, writes. Uh, thank you uh, to get, for getting the podcast rolling. It's helped me reestablish my love of Star Trek, which is the nicest thing to hear. Um, it's great listening to intelligent conversations with equally fun and intelligent guests. That's great, too. It's been a true grift. True gift. <laughs> yes, it's been a grift. <laughs> this free podcast has been a grift. Uh, you have to listen to those stinking underwear commercials. We're done with the underwear commercials, by the way. For now, anyway. Thank God. All right. So, uh, for instance, um, okay, so here's why I'm reading you his letter. He writes, uh, and I love this, that as a law student, he's been uh, doing a lot of research into intellectual property of late, and he loved the conversation with John Van Sitters about the fan film guidelines. That was a real treat for him. So, if you haven't listen, go back. Uh, if, you, if, you listen, if you're looking on iTunes, it's listed as episode, bu- 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 bu, episode, f- it's number f- episode five. It's 15th on the list because we've had a number of episodes that weren't ranked just to make it confusing for people. But it's an interview with John Van Sitters about the, uh, it was a minor, uh, I don't want to call it a controversy, but it was, a, it was an issue that had come up between uh, fan films that were uh, using the intellectual property of Star Trek for nefarious reasons. And CBS got involved in a way that some people said, what the heck's going on? And then we got into this conversation and 98% of the people who listened to it said, oh, wow, this is a really interesting and innovative way that CBS uh, licensing, who I technically don't work for, so I'm not just kissing the boss's ass here. I'm an independent man, but um, use some really innovative ways to, uh, to work around and work with the public. So check that one out. And thanks, John Soares, for writing that. Um, he also said, are you ever going to do an episode um, based on the books? And he clearly emailed that before my interview with uh, Dayton Ward, which went live last, probably just as he was hitting send is when it went live on Wednesday. So Dayton Ward's one of the most prolific Star Trek novelists. Um, he's written over 25 books and he's part of the New Legacy series. And we discussed his writing process as well as Star Trek novel lore and some of the classics. 
Um, but uh, this writer does say maybe one day we'll do an episode dedicated to um, some of the older novels, and I think that's a great idea. I'd love to to get all up on you know just some random pocketbook you know um, Uhura's song or uh, Spock's world or one of the greats uh, Prime Prime Directive. Um, Enter, the one that's just called Enterprise is a really fun one. So uh, yes, we will. We want to. We love the Star Trek novels, and we want more people to get involved with them. Uh, many of them are great. Not all of them. I'm not. I'm not going to fib. Some of them. Uh, listen, you can buy them all for about. They're probably a, some of the older ones are a penny used on Amazon. And some of them are worth a penny, but some of them are really, really great. And the new ones that are coming out now are spectacular. Indeed, Kirsten Beyer. Uh, one of the new writers for Star Trek Discovery, getting called up to the big leagues. She's currently writing the Voyager continuing uh, continuing adventures in book form. Uh, another John S. from I don't know where. He didn't say where he was writing from. <laughs> writes a fun question. Basically, I'm, uh, he, he went at length, but uh, John Sawyer is his name. Writes, I'm interested in how hardcore fans, casual friends, and actual creatives involved in making Star Trek differ when it comes to canon and continuity. Uh, what he's basically worried about is what are we all going to do when Discovery comes out? Because it's supposed to be set in the prime timeline, not some Kelvin-verse, blown-up wormhole timeline. The prime timeline, post-Enterprise, pre-TOS, what are we going to do uh, if the spaceship looks different, if um, the spaceship, the starship looks different, uh, the tech looks different? What are we going to do about the ridged foreheads? <laughs> it's got to, it's the, <laughs> so, you know, they're going to work out the ridged foreheads, I'm sure. If there, if there are Klingons, and I'm sure there will be, they're going to have a good, a good workaround for this. But yeah, I mean, look, I love Star Trek because, and I think I speak for a lot of people, I love that you can really escape into a really richly layered and textured world with a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, rules, history. I mean, you know, Lord of the Rings fans, they love the, the, the Silmarillion because it's, you know, just, just a bunch of bunch of rules. You know, I've never read it because I'm not a crazy person. But, um, you know, uh, there's, there's an aspect of that that applies to me in Star Trek. You know, I love wasting an hour on Memory Alpha just poking around. You know, my, my issues of the concordance and the compendium are, you can practically, uh, the pages are falling apart. So, um, yes, the slavish nerdery of Trek is what I love, but... You know, you got to live in the real world. I recognize that uh, it's 2016, and the show, the original show, was made 50 years ago. So it's going to look a little different, and um, and that's going to be fine. You know, I think uh, Abrams and Lynn uh, and the Bad Robot team did a really good job of uh, effectively blending the styles of the original with modern day. Uh, the filming, I mean, filmmaking techniques. I think the lens flares in in, a, in the second film was over the top, and uh, but you know everything else was uh, was I kind of dug it. You know, I liked the way the the Enterprise looked uh, on in those in the new films. Um, I didn't like it more than the show. That's my Enterprise, but but I like the new one. So I, I think Discovery is going to look pretty pretty cool. Um, John concludes, in the event that the Discovery crew is not wearing the exact same sweaters Kirk and Co. wore, or if we see a bunch of forehead ridge Klingons without anyone bending over backwards to tell us why they don't look like Michael Ansara, which is a bad example because he had ridges later on in DS9, Josh, but that's okay. Um, I'm curious uh, what you think the general reaction will be. 
and what your personal feelings are in the whole rigid can. He's really stuck on the, the rigid foreheads. Um, I like the way they talked around in Enterprise, the foreheads. And um, I just want the show to be good. I mean, it's the story first and the uh, tech aspects second, but a close second. You know, it's uh, that's my take. I, I'm going to be much more annoyed at the new show if the stories aren't good rather than the um, the way they beam a guy doesn't look the way it should. All right? That's my answer. Uh, and then finally, number three, uh, my friend Dave Gonzalez of Somewhere in Colorado writes, and this is lovely. I'm going to read his whole letter. I was a big fan of Star Trek The Next Generation growing up with my parents, who were TOS fans. You can imagine that Star Trek Generations was a big deal in my family when it came out in theaters. Even though I love this mediocre Kirk Picard story, that's the under, underfed hide to the Jekyll of all good things. They were written by the same at the same time as Ron Moore with Brandon Braga. Yeah, I know. I know, Dave. Uh, the concept of the Nexus has always bothered me. Specifically this, colon, if Guinan can appear to Picard in the Nexus because part of her was left behind when she encountered it before, is there an echo of Picard and Kirk forever scrambling eggs together in a rolling outer space heaven? For me, Dave says, the answer is yes, which leads me to my real question. Okay, so let's stop right there. The answer is no. Guinan is Elorian, so she has special shit going on, okay? And I hate to use profanity, but um, Guinan's echo is different from... Uh, a guy from Iowa's Echo, right? Or a guy from France, even though he's English Echo, okay? So that's the deal with the Nexus. All right, but he says, uh, leads me to my next question. What Star Trek story has stretched a sci-fi concept too far for you to for you to love in spite of your critical faculties? Oh, is there something where the, where the science is too... It's just because it's just... Yes. Something where it's just too far-fetched that you just can't handle it. I can't handle Threshold. I can't handle going faster than warp 10 when you've clearly established in all canon that 10 is as fast as you can go. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and then if you do do that, you, the, the, I think the idea is if you go faster than warp 10, you exist in all time at one. You exist everywhere at once at all times. That's kind of cool. So let's play with that, and then you become a lizard, and you have a lizard baby on a planet, and then you abandon it, and you never go back. So what the hell is going on with that? Um, that episode is a problem for me and for most Star Trek fans. Um, I know. I think the Borg tra- somehow involved corridors, transwarp corridors that were faster than ten, but they're the Borg. All right. Um, going and then Dave uh, when all goes on, he gets really into the nexus here, and he included a graph. So I can't speak it to you, but his theory is that, um, oh man, maybe I should just have this guy Dave on the show to talk about the nexus because he's really into the nexus <laughs> more so than I think the writers of, of Generations were. Uh, let's okay, because the theory the thing is, you know, when when. Think about it this way, right? Because Kirk goes into the Nexus, and then he, he can come out at any time in space-time, any place, or Picard can, right? So if it's just like sort of like a, a spot where you can then exit and go anywhere, it's like the center. It's like the center of the wheel when you're playing Trivial Pursuit. You can go in from any avenue, and you can come out from any avenue. So as long as you existed. Or as long as your yourself, if it's one loop, go, still continues to go into the Nexus. So what Dave argues with this crazy graph is that if you're Kirk and you go into the Nexus with the destruction of the Enterprise 
B, right? And then if you want, you can leave the Nexus, go back and relive your life again, so long as you still end up on the Enterprise B and get sucked in. And you could do this over and over and over again. Uh, and there could be an infinite amount of Kirks flying around. Um, I don't really know what Dave is talking about, but maybe you do. I get a little confused with this sort of thing. So, Dave, God bless you. He's DA7E on Twitter if you want to figure out what he's talking about. Uh, he's a great guy. He writes for Geek.com and other places. So, if you want to get Dave on the horn, maybe we should do that. All right. Uh, anything else we need to talk about before we kick it off to these exciting uh, interviews that we we, uh, we banked? No, I don't think so. We got some new stuff coming up. Just so you know, we've got some more interviews from Vegas. We got some more interviews that we're doing live uh, in the studio on Deck 44 this week. So it's going to be a lot of activity between now and um, uh, through October. And I, you listen, I'm on pins and needles with you trying to find out when we're going to get casting news at a, at a discovery. Um they say we're not going to know till October. These things always leak. They got to be building. They're building sets now, right? I don't know what I'm going to do if I open my computer one day and there's like leaked spy pictures on like one of these Bobo sites. Because um, I want to see. I want the first picture I see to be a really good, um, poised, composed shot you know, approved by Brian Fuller. You know, I don't want it to be some joker with an iPhone who sneaks into the studio in Toronto and takes a picture and, and uh, you know, some of, these, some of these websites, these loser websites, put it up, you know? So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know, because I'm going to be so curious. I'm probably going to click and I'm going to regret it. That's what I always do. I don't know. Maybe we can work together. We can we can have like a hotline where it's like uh, I feel like I'm going to I'm going to like you know like I'm going to break. I'm going to I'm going to click. Don't do it, man. Just wait another 2 days cuz you know as soon as it leaks onto a fan site then uh Fuller's team is going to have a good one come out. Uh with the cool whatever the costume looks like and I hope it's good. I hope it's colorful. Enterprise's costumes were great because of the design. And they look great in Star Trek Beyond. And they look great at, at conventions. You can zip them up and the hats are cool. Um, but uh, I do like the primary colors of TOS. Uh, even the cage has, the, it has, has a little bit more color. Those, you know, creamy, creamy browns and um, those baby blues. So I hope it's more like that. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, T'Pol's outfit was dynamite. Let's not get me started on that. All right, listen. So we're going to uh, continue now. Um, we're, it's going to be a lengthy show. we got two half-hour interviews to go. We'll catch you back uh, in a moment. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Um, okay, cool. So we're recording now, and this is really exciting. We're back now 
in the little uh, ready room that I have off to the side of the noisy and crowded vendor room. Are you ready? You're in the basement, actually. <laughs> You're in the basement of the convention. So I'm here, I'm here with two guys who can't stand each other. I'm here with Connor Trudeau. I can't stand you. I can't stand you. I can't stand it. Connor Trudeau and Dominic Keating, or Dominic Keating and Connor Trudeau. However, yeah, however, yeah, however anyway, now we got it right. Whatever. And I rehearsals, man. They just, they just don't work. <laughs> I saw you guys uh, on stage yesterday with the uh, Enterprise panel. Uh, which was, uh, you seemed to have a lot of fun doing these we things. We all played pretty fair, didn't we? Really? Indeed. Indeed. For the first time in a while. In a while, It yeah. was, it was uh, the two of you and John Billingsley and Ambassador Saval, who uh-huh. yeah, is a real name. That Gary I, Graham. Gary Graham. Of course, yeah. of course, yeah. Who was wearing dear, shorts. Dear, dear, Gary. He, he was, was very wearing, casually dressed, he, wasn't he? he was, <laughs> he'd come off a charter ship he fishing on the Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was wearing a, a, a plain T-shirt, uh, very short, gray, uh, beige shorts. Not he did look like shorts. he'd wandered in from the beach he, he, in he, somewhere he, in Jamaica, he <laughs> like he'd been wrestling with, you know. And flip flops. He was wearing yeah. flip flops too. Yeah. yeah. yeah Dominic, you're dressed very nicely. You're wearing a vest, which is nice. God bless. And Connor, you are wearing. On it's all Mark Jacobs. <laughs> <laughs> you are wearing something. And Mac makeup. <laughs> Lest we forget. Oh, yeah. Have you been seeing He has the oh, eyeliner. Did right. you see got a the, Mac spaceship right makeup. In front of us. Oh, the, the Mac booth is incredible. Official. Yeah. This thing has hit when Mac get and you know this, this is not by chance. They yeah. made a line. They made a yeah. Star Trek line of, line of makeup. makeup. Yeah. yeah. For, there are four. There's there's uh, there's uh, Ahura. There's Seven of Nine. There's um, uh, Trip. <laughs> there should be. Wait, but the thing that you're wearing now—it's a little strange. The trip one. You, you've got. You got to be a rock and roll. Yeah. I, I want You've got a, a fantastic uh, looking uh, salt and pepper beard that you're wearing. Old I, Mac. I, I do. Old yeah. Mac. Yeah. I came here cleanly shaven. Uh, this is a great look. I love it. I think oh, it's terrific. Thanks. Yeah. I'm what, just uh, what the hell? This Grow is, a beard. This just is ch- chopped tomatoes over yeah, here. Exactly. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> this is liver and tomatoes. <laughs> well, this is a lot of fun for me because I, you know, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and I always, uh, I, you know, it's funny. We're just having uh, water here, but I always said I would love to get a beer. With with Trip Tucker and Malcolm Reed, and well, I, you I, nearly I, did. You did. Because <laughs> Roger uh, Roger Lay, who he just uh, dropped us off, dropped us off, literally <laughs> dropped us off. Yeah, and we we we, uh, we shared two bottles of wine at lunch, so you got us all yeah. wow, loosened up. Wow, yeah. it's not ask us anything, man. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you the truth. It's not even two thirds. When I was eleven, and another thing. All right, we're just gonna talk straight about the decontamination chamber scene. We're gonna go straight there. Oh, right, 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 right. right there. Um, I'm gonna take the vest off. <laughs> how many? Did, how many? You did, did you do the? De- you did them. I did a couple. Did, right? Yeah, yeah. I got naked a couple of times. How many yeah. of the, those? Uh, oh, they had him scenes? in those shorts endlessly. Well, you're very handsome gentlemen. So oh, they wanted you. you in there a lot. I was, I, but decon chamber. I did one with each of the gals. I did one with Jolene, which was the one in the pilot that was soft core porn. <laughs> And then she, I was, did, she was smuggling raisins back from the planet Pajem, as I remember. <laughs> and then one with, with uh, I did one with Linda Park, but that wasn't nearly as sexy. Not not because of Linda, but because of the situation. Yeah, the situation. And also, your 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 she, her character was more of a you know ingenue. Yeah, no, Andrew, yeah, she's very pure and innocent, mm-hmm. you know. But she, she had her, she had her good points also. It was so. just functionary. The smearing of the KY <laughs> oil was necessary. It was necessary well, to decontaminate. These were professionals. These were professionals. Yeah. I mean, when you found out about that, I mean, what, did they say to you, "Look, we're going to give it a scientific reason why you need to do this"? No, we all did a happy dance. <laughs> yeah. no, I'll, tell, I'll tell you how the, it was interesting because um, I didn't know how it was going to play out. Of course, I didn't yeah. know what a decontamination scene meant until right. I did it. Right. But the day before we did. It, I shot a scene in the pilot with uh, Anthony Montgomery 
And over in the corner of the soundstage, they had all the executive producers and they had these two well, I think they were porn stars, but they might have just been <laughs> they did, didn't they? fit models. Yeah. But what they were doing was testing what the appropriate gel and sort of sparklies, which would look good on oh, really? camera. But I don't believe the girl had a top on. <clears throat> wow. And the guy didn't have a top on, but who cares? But right. she didn't have a top on. And we had a really difficult time focusing on the fact that we had a scene to do because we're all just <laughs> peering over there because they had, you know, they had it all lit. Right. And they were because they were had to test it out. They're yeah. like, look, we need to know what's going to look good, creamy and sparkly and yeah. shiny on camera. And they got it from the pleasure chest. Does it look good on Dominic? <laughs> yes, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I do want to ask you some questions of, uh, about each of your characters, because, uh, you know, I think of Trip as he's one of my, you know, he's, he's the, the engineers are always the cool guys. I mean, there really are a lot of fun. All the engineers and all the shows are great. And um you know, Trip Tucker was from the, the American South, even in the future, that's still the South, right? Yeah. But, and Florida I. Florida boy, wasn't he? Officially speaking. Yeah, Florida. He Florida's was, still a part of the continent. Right, right. Yeah. Northern Florida. Before it got destroyed by the Zindi, it yeah. was still up there. Um, but you are not from the South at all. You are. You, I am born and raised in Washington State. Rhett's about as far north as you can get about without as being far in Canada. North. Yeah, yeah. In fact, they send people from the various parts of the country to the Northwest, in Washington specifically, I believe to kind of get rid of their accent because we're accent neutral there really? for okay. the most part. So, I mean, yes, you are a trained actor, but how did you uh, work on, on the accent? To, to, was there something specific that you, uh, that you followed, that you watched, that you researched, spoke to? Or? Oddly, I'd done a play a couple years prior to that for most of a year in New York where I played a guy from Oklahoma. I did a lot of research on mm. this guy's accent and whatnot. And when I got the job, I gave him that accent and really, oh my God! It's <laughs> my agent. That's the guy calling right now. <laughs> my agent, you're full of shit, Connor. <laughs> I heard everything you said. <laughs> uh, and oddly enough, I had made this whole backstory, which yeah. didn't exist, that I was from Oklahoma. I was just kind of a gearhead. Yeah. Worked on cars, and uh, Captain Archer finds him and sees that he's kind of a wonderkind with with engines, trains him, blah blah blah. Yeah. Halfway through season one. They say I'm from Florida. And I said, well, wait a minute, you guys. I'm, I'm not doing Florida. Yeah, and they were yeah. like, ah, doesn't matter. They'll never know. <laughs> well, northern Florida is the south. Southern Florida is not the south. It's no Cuba. <laughs> no, northern Florida is. I mean, I mean, Tom Petty's from Florida. Yeah. He's the south. He's southern accent. No, I, I, I know. But so. my thing was, is yeah. like, I was trying to be specific, very, you know, no, trained actory. And they said, ah, it doesn't matter. Right. But, but then there was a couple who came for a Make-A-Wish Foundation who were from Clear, uh, Clearwater, I think it was, that yeah. my character was from, or Tarpon Springs, doesn't really matter. Yeah. And they were like, I just want to thank you for, for really doing our accent perfect. Oh, that's great. And I was like, well, I wasn't really doing your accent. Right, right. But, but meanwhile, thank there, you. Meanwhile, there are people in Oklahoma go, that guy sounds nothing like us. He I sounds know, more right? like a Florida yeah, exactly. guy. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, that's cool because, and, and obviously Trip is, is one of the more a fun character is one of the guys that you really want to hang around with. Malcolm, on the other hand, was a bit of a... You yourself are seem like a fun guy to hang around with, but the character... Seemingly. A little, a little <laughs> mercurial, a little bit secretive, a little bit uh, not so warm and fuzzy at first, but you seem he like... He was, a, you know, uh, an American TV Brit. You know, 
That's not how all of us see uh, uh, British Button down people, collar, yeah. stiff upper lip, you yeah. know, shy around ladies. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've got to write that bit. You know, right. <laughs> you know me. So um, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, how... how uh, you know what? What did they give you beforehand about the character? That was it. That was it. Was it, it. was it. Button-down shirt, stiff upper lip, shy around women. Okay. That's the game I, was very was my three-line bio. <laughs> and about I don't know three, four episodes into the shooting of the show, I just I, mean, I can't just stick him in this tiny little box. Yeah. And everything's and I I it's the first time in my acting life I went. You know what? If this show's got legs and it's going to go these seven years. Yeah. Uh, that's my agent going, you're full of, <laughs> you're full of SH1T, I'm kid. Listening. <laughs> uh, then I've got to let some of me into him. Sure. And, and, and thank God I had the courage, if you will, to let that happen. And yeah. uh, it made him three-dimensional. It made him real. And probably also kick-started some thinking on the writer's behalf. It did. Say, oh, it, we're without seeing, a doubt. We're seeing some changes without in Malcolm. Without a doubt. And now we can sort of tailor. I let some of my own humor leak into his stiffness. Yeah. And I mean, I think. That. And I then think they saw it in our relationship. And they started writing for us together. For the two of you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, nothing was, nothing was, uh, look, uh, uh, the only thing that could be said about the, the beginning of the show was the triumvirate was there. You yeah. Know, Connor. Um, um, Scott and, and uh, Jolene yeah um, and the dog to Paul and the dog right. yeah the dog had a bigger trailer than me <laughs> for four, three, four, how many years four years <laughs> they, were, they were two dogs um, anyway so yeah without a doubt there, nothing was given that, that other than that triumvirate and, and thank heavens uh, I, I sort of elbowed my way yeah. in a bit and, and I mean I think that's the way that they I think when they hire somebody they hire somebody who's going to do that because when they're launching a giant project like this yes. they know it's going to go for a while they have a they work so much on yeah. the specific things, and they have to kind of roll the dice and say, "They see what works." Yeah, they say we're going to. And it gives them inspiration, works. as you say. You look, it's yeah. episodic telly, honey. Right, right. You know, it ain't easy. Yeah, and listen, there were some characters in another series that didn't work, and they yanked her out and yeah. put somebody new in. And you have to bear in mind when when we got these roles, we were only given this particular scenes that we auditioned with. We didn't have a pilot script no. prior yeah. to getting the job. No, so we you were really kind of going on, uh, you know, uh, I guess a, a template of kind of stock characters in a sense. Yeah. Like, you know, you said like, you know, the uptight Brit, the American idea of an uptight Brit. I was yeah. a good old Southern boy. Yeah. Beyond that, you were uh, kind of given the latitude and I think the responsibility as the actor to come up with yes. to invent what, yeah, to, yeah. To, to, to come up with flesh it out the guy it's, it's great that yeah. they that they foster that kind of environment to do it also yeah, yeah. well really, they had experience I mean right. they, you know they weren't new to the game it was, right wasn't their first rodeo right. <laughs> but uh, they all they often cast classically trained actors they did you know, who yeah. know they sure who know who understand sure storytelling yeah and who understand what it means to take something and actually craft character yeah and spend yeah. and yeah and to make that world seemingly real that's yeah. not a real world, you know. Well, don't tell me that. I'm a fan. I like to pretend. <laughs> now, now, Connor, you were never a fan of Star Trek prior to the show, is what I'm told. Well, this is not. A, I'm not a, I'm accusing you of anything. Not at all. But you, I, I, I grew up on the original. His series. brother was a huge fan. Huge. My brother was. Your my, brother was. My oh, brother. Okay. He was I, like I, usual. I, I watched it. Every, His brother is you. <laughs> yeah. I watched it every day at, when I came home from school. That and then Perry Mason would come on and. Yeah. Uh, but. No, I, I, I'm not well versed in any of the other series at all. Yeah. But you, I, on the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I grew up watching the original show. Um, nagged my dad rotten to get one of the first color TVs in our street. 
at a Woodland Avenue in Leicester um, uh, to see that show in color. Yeah, and uh, that yeah, was the this, idea. I mean, this it was multi-broadcast TV arrived at our door one day. It was the yeah. size of an size aircraft of a van. hangar. <laughs> you could literally with a louvered wooden door because you you pulled that across. And what on earth could that be? Right. A coffin over there <laughs> in the middle of the sitting room. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just amazed at uh, watching Star Trek in color. Uh, but and did. Did you watch TNG or, or any of the other I ones? I watched, when I first arrived in America in 94, uh, TNG was on, and I ended up living on this commune out in Malibu. Oh, that's right. Do you remember? And it was all run by this ex-peripatetic hippie called Victor, who was a, he loved <laughs> two things in life, or three if you include the pot. Uh, <laughs> but one of them was Star Trek Next Gen, okay. uh, the original uh-huh. show and Next Gen. And the other was triple-rated Paul from Canada. God bless him. <laughs> from Canada? Yeah. So I was living literally... Wait, time out. What is Canadian porn? It's very it was, nice. It's back very, then, very it, kind. Was, it was the really... Yeah, very, very... very <laughs> polite. Apologetic. Very polite about things. Excuse do me, mind, Do you mind if I... If I <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's just, yeah. uh, let's go, not go down that and rabbit hole. And there's hole. also, um, uh, the healthcare is very nice, so if they get injured during the porn, it's, yeah. Or, <laughs> How'd or, that or, happen, or, eh? Right. Penicillin's everywhere. Right. Uh, I believe you. Uh, wait, wait, so you were living in a commune. I was living what, what in one doing? of the last bastions of hippodom in the Western world. You, were, you had moved to, to Canada years. to become an actor. No, this you was moved to this California. Was California, yeah. <laughs> to become an actor. Yes. And you're looking for an apartment, and like, well, we, there's a place where you can live, but you got to live with these communes. Long story short, yeah. I did do my first six weeks in Lake Hollywood, in uh, in town and then things went wrong there where I was staying and I had to move quickly and no. an ex-girlfriend who was an American was living in this she put me to live with a friend of hers originally uh, on, at Las Flores Canyon uh, at PCH on the corner there wow and I stayed there a few weeks but that didn't work out so great and it sounds like I'm awful but I'm not <laughs> I ended up anyway I ended up moving into Malibu proper and we lived at this place called the ranch uh, which was the last bastion of hippiedom in the whole wow. western world and this was and not like a religious years. cult thing no, or anything. No, no, no. no no it's a long story but she, this lady owned this land and they wouldn't let her do anything commercially with it uh, called Joanne Knapp she built a medical center there on Cross Creek Way at Civic Center way at Cross Creek. And uh, she had, she did up these old buildings that were originally used by the guys that actually, when it was a ranch in the 1920s with horses and everything, uh, there were these old outhouses and she did them up to a certain domesticity, but not code. Yeah. And she rented them out. I lived there for 300 bucks a month. Wow. Two minutes from Surfrider Beach for the first two years of my life in LA. And uh, got my green card there, got started as an actor there, got my first job there. Uh, this lovely surfer guy, I met his sister. Was and he was into porn and yes. next generation. So God bless Victor. Hi, Victor. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, he, Victor must be 70 now. Yeah, he turned 50 on the ranch. I was had my 32nd birthday there. Um, memories. So, memories. Uh, and yeah, Victor, he had a huge satellite dish in the field. We had 15 acres of prime real estate in the middle of... There was a castle on the hill that burned down in the last fire. I know exactly where that is. You know where that is? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I lived underneath the castle. On, on the weekends, they'd rent it out uh, for weddings. And as an English guy, I'd come suddenly out of my little shack, you know, yeah. into the field with oh, just beauty everywhere. And there'd be this... Robin Shut Hood, up. Robin Hood weddings going on. They'd rent it out for the weekend oh for the <laughs> foxes. <laughs> anyway, so and Victor and his mate, uh, who was originally from Manchester, that was another small world. Uh, Dermot, they were huge Star Trek heads. Wow. Uh, they had this beaten up old Honda that they'd rip the doors off and put 
bars on. It was so beaten up, and on the back, they stenciled, Resistance is futile. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd ride around Malibu in this vehicle. I've got pictures of it. Oh, my God. Uh, it was extraordinary. So, well, I, um, wa- I wonder if they... It was as if the universe knew. Right, right. I actually... So Victor said to me, there was a big dish in the field. He said, I've got a dish. I've got TV. I'll hook you up, Dom. So I got a TV. What he neglected to tell me was you had to watch what he watched. Because oh, he I had the see. flicker. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah. So, and he only watched two things. Next Generation 3, Triple X Racing, Born from Canada. Okay. So you come over in the evening, turn the TV on. It was like, oh, oh no, okay, it's okay. So it's only Patrick's bald head. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, That's and, funny. And Diana's stuff. enormous, anyway, yeah. uh, talent. And... Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. I wonder though if he continued watching and then was he watching sure did. Enterprise. Oh, he totally. We stayed in touch. Oh, okay. Uh, he ran right. when I got that job. Yeah. So I got, uh, in homage to this event and the yeah. TV. I the, I I bought one toy at uh, the local. The store around the corner. It was one of those guns that it shot what looked like Star Trek toy things off the oh, end yeah. of it, uh, like a Nerf gun. Yes, right. no, no, no. It was a little. They were. Plastic they discs. looked like that plastic discs. Oh, with oh little, which, it looked like a. It looked like a little like saucers. A, yeah, little. Yeah. yeah. So in homage, I and I lost the gun, but I the, the projectiles I had, and I got three of them. They were luminescent green, yellow, yeah. and orange, mm-hmm. and I put them on top of my little TV in my little shack on the on the <laughs> ranch on the in the commune. On our march, the Star Trek thing. So I moved up to Hollywood. Two years later, I found yeah. we all got evicted in the end, funnily enough. So I move up to Hollywood. I get this gig, and I'm in the shower in the, in the little two-bedroom apartment in, in mm-hmm. Beachwood Canyon where, where, we, where we first got the gig. And I was having a shower, and I suddenly went... Oh, I literally ran, dripping wet, naked from the shower, and opened up this drawer from this little chest of drawers I'd taken up from the ranch with me, and there they were. Ah. And they still sit in my study to this day. Oh, no joke. Wow. As, oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, God bless me. It's as if the universe kind of knew that something was going to happen that's crazy. with this show. So with, with your brother being a huge Star Trek fan, when you got the gig, he was probably doing cartwheels, right? Well, this is a funny story. Funny. <laughs> so when I got the job, I thought that. Yeah. And he was... He rings him. I call him up. <laughs> he was one of the, he was the second person I called after my parents. And I call him up and I'm like, Matt. Back up for a second. He had at the time a six and a four-year-old, two girls. Yeah. It's got to be, I don't know, 8.30 in the morning. And I call him up thinking he's going to be just over the moon because I haven't you told anybody about it. You would have it with how big a fan he was at school. And well, you and my brother and his, and... My, I, I grew up very sporty. I was an you know, athlete and never into acting or anything. I was very sports conscious. And my brother and his three friends in elementary school would watch Star Trek, the original series. The next day, they would walk the perimeter of the playground having a dialogue You'd about right the, there, <laughs> about, the, about the previous day's episode. Right. You know, and I'd be like, what are they, what are they doing? He's <laughs> chucking the ball a hundred yards. Yeah, right, right, right. And, uh, and so the guys are going, look at that guy. Right. And <laughs> look at the arm on him. <laughs> and so I'm thinking he's going to be over the moon. So right, yeah. I call him up and again, it's, it's in the morning and I'm like, Matt, you never guess. So I just got cast in the new Star Trek series. It's called Enterprise and I'm playing the engineer. And there's a pause, and he goes, Ruby, stop touching Lily. But no, that's her cereal. Don't <laughs> stop touching each other. Man, that's great. I got to go. Click. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, 
no. What? No. Not the response I thought I was going to get. But you, then I had my own kid, and I was right. like, I get it. Get, I get it. You don't care about it. anything other than Ruby yeah. stopping. Yeah. Great yeah. expectations. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man, that's terrific. Uh, so um, I want to ask you real quick what you guys are, are up to. I mean, other than being at this convention... Um, and and staying here. What the a full thing time. this is this week, isn't it? It's, I know it's, it's crazy. It's, some some actors come in, they they show up for their panel, and they get the hell out of here. You yeah. guys have taken the week off, and you're you're hanging out with fans, you're signing autographs, you're schmoozing, you're going out for for lunch and drinking a lot of wine. Yeah. So um, life is good, <laughs> but it's white wine because it's the daytime. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right very yeah. classy. Um, <laughs> although, uh, so uh, but it was wasn't it? Yeah, stay classy, Cincinnati. Um, <laughs> uh, stuff that you've been up to. Lately, Dominic started with you. You do a lot of voiceover stuff. I do right do now. it. I, uh, you yeah, do a lot of uh, video game voiceover video game stuff, stuff and cartoons. And yeah. Uh, but the thing I'm most proud of just lately, um, this lovely lady, Professor Caroline Alexander, uh, spent five years doing a new translation of Homer's epic poem, The Iliad. And God bless her, uh, she picked my voice out of the hat. And um, I just recorded it earlier this year. Uh, it was the most gargantuan hill to climb, mountain to climb. Yeah. Uh, we did it in 10 days. 10 days. And full days, right? Eight hour days, my Whoa. friend. Yeah, they, they came a point of the day when the sound engineer lad behind the glass would just look at me and go, <laughs> we're done for today, kid. <laughs> it's just you know, too scratchy. Yeah. And, uh, but it was the most extraordinary experience. Um, we just did a live event in uh, D.C. The National Geographic Channel sponsor her, and they flew us out, and they have a, an auditorium there at their National Geographic HQ yeah. called the Groves Auditorium. We did so a this whole, is a new, it's a new translation? It's a new translation. It's on iTunes right now. Yeah. HarperCollins, Professor Caroline Alexander, Dominic Keating reading. We're getting five-star reviews. I nice. Say. Oh, really? Yeah. Great. yeah. It's, uh, I it's, mean, you it's know, going I, down very well. I'll be very honest. I mean, I was... I was uh, Told to read the Iliad in eighth grade. It's an amazing story. And I was Do you know it's the original story ever it's recorded? It's the first story. It is and the like, first story. I think I did, I read just enough to pass the test, but it's something I, that I I knew nothing about it. I'd never read it. I never looked at it. Uh, I, I'd, Troy, seen right? Troy. I'd seen yeah, Troy. I'd seen Troy. As much as I knew, were, then you were I was ready right to up go. to speed. <laughs> Brad Pitt and, and uh, uh, Petroclus and yes. Ajax is in there Petroclus, also. Petroclus, darling. That's why you're doing it, not me. Petroclus is a character in Star Trek. Well, either that or a gas station. Yeah. So what what were the things that you that that you so before you do a reading, I mean... I, I, I went blind, honestly. I'm not kidding you. I went into that booth on day one, uh, and we just started. And yeah. um, I had little knowledge uh, at all. Uh, I did not know about the catalogue of ships. Do you know about the catalogue of ships? I don't know. It's I, well known in academic She circles. launched... She was the face so of the end of, thousand ships. At the end of book two, there, yeah. there are 25 pages, or thereabouts, and it is endless Greek name after Greek name wow. that are spelt not how they sound. <laughs> and this is like in Moby Dick. It's the, the, the chapter about whale, about cetology. Yes, it's a, indeed. It's, famous it's like, all the so names of the ships they're in, the captains of the ships, the islands they're sailing from, the islands they're sailing to, and all the goddamn gods that are following <laughs> them. And it's 25 pages. I actually, uh, after about two hours on the first day of doing that, yeah. I just said to Philip, I said, dude, 
we're going to have to do this in pieces. Yeah. I yeah. can't just get through this. I, so, I, this is going to kill me. Um, give me some Greek chips. So what we, are some of the ones oh, you remember? I, I, I wish I, if I had the book with me. <laughs> There's was, the Clipper. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the Clipper Rossimus and Bacchus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, um, we had to go back and do it in literally, you know, I'd warm up for the first hour of the day with where we were in the, in the books. And then when I, I'd look at him and go, okay, let's go. Right. And we go back and it would take 30 minutes, 40 minutes to do 10 lines, 15 lines. It was, it was that intense. Yeah. And we do that every day for 10 days and we got through those 25 pages. And you've also got a new film that you just I have a cop thriller called Knowing. It's a little low budget movie we shot in LA. Um, it's got a nice cast, including me playing a serial killer. See, I don't like, um, I think of you as a nice guy. I don't want to know that you're killing people. I, this is... Well, I don't want to spoil the plot because the, the, there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a surprise. Okay. So, enough said. All right. And, it and surprised so, me enough to go, you know what? I'm going to do this film. Yeah. And you got to shoot it in job. L.A. where you live. So. And I got to shoot it in L.A. Yeah. But there was a moment in the reading of when I got the, given the gig and I read the script and I went, hell, I want to be in this film. It really grabbed me. This, it really got my attention, this, this, this twist in the plot. Yeah. So it stars Eva LaRue, who was the girl opposite David Caruso in the Miami, Vice, uh, Miami uh, CSI. <laughs> <laughs> She's not that old. Right. Uh, the Miami CSI. Yeah. And uh, Michael, mm, I want to say Winchell. He was one of the boys on Twilight. It's something oh, like that. Okay. He's is it very, first, time, first time director? Or is uh, it? No, Mike Pfeiffer did a great job. Very experienced uh, Brooklyn guy. Nice. Uh, it, was a, it was a good gig uh, and a lot of fun to do. Well, that sounds exciting. We'll be looking for that one next year, I guess. I think maybe of... by, by, by the end of this year. End of this year. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And you're in the middle of shooting something? Or you He's just in a big-ass movie, uh, honey. I did that. I'm in the middle of doing a video game um, that... I signed a non-disclosure agreement about, so, I mean, I don't even know really what it's called. I'm, oh. a, I'm a character in it, okay. and, and I'm the narrator of it. So oh. uh, I go back on Sunday and do a day and other days work on Monday, so it's not completed yet. All right. I don't want to get you in any trouble, so don't, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. tell me what it is. Right. They're here, and they will get me. Oh, so it's a Star Trek video uh, game. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's not, a, it's not a Star Trek video right. game. It's, uh, okay, I can tell you. Because yeah. <laughs> I told them all about it. Right, right, right. Oh, but, and uh, um, I did a movie this last year. Tom Cruise. Well, it stars Tom Cruise. Um, it's called. I heard of him. It's called Mina. I heard of him. Yeah. Directed by Doug Lyman, and I. I you play, heard of him. I've heard of Doug Lyman. Is the guy who did the first Born Identity movie. He did. And a go. Swingers. 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 Go. And a movie that gets not enough respect. The movie Jumper. Was Never that his seen too? it. That was him. Oh. I liked that movie. That was not a success, but I liked it anyway. Yeah. So uh, if you talk to Doug, Tom, at least one guy likes jump. I, well, right? When I see him. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I play a young George W. Bush. Um, it's... Whoa! Time out. Hold on. Yeah. I didn't want to bring this up because I'm not the world's biggest George W. Bush fan, but I always did You're say, not alone. I always did say that if they were, they were going to do I it... I can't take part in this interview anymore. <laughs> I always did say that you did kind of resemble him, especially when you had the Southern accent. Uh, his, there is a, not, a, not a spiritual and emotional resemblance, a physical resemblance only, because, like I said... There's you, an odd feel. Right. <laughs> yes. So, I, I uh, have heard that um, yeah. many times, especially, oddly, at conventions. And when I, I read for the part... I went in and I was like, yeah, great. I'm going to go audition for this big movie and yeah. there's not a chance in hell I'm going to get it. And I, I did. Yeah, he's my, retired from being president. He'll probably do it himself. <laughs> <laughs> I did the, the scene and the woman goes, oh, my God. 
do that again. I was like, well, all right, yeah. sure. I did it again. She was like, not all the time, but a lot of the time. Yeah. Right here yeah. in the eyes. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and like the, in your face, you look just like him. Yeah. And, I was, and she was like, can you do it again? I said, honey, I can do it all day long. <laughs> <laughs> if you're paying, sure. And so uh, sure enough, I got it. It's a small part uh, in a big movie, um, but it was a lot of fun to work with, with uh, Tom Cruise. So He's, you have a scene with Tom. It's the, it's, it's the scene scenes. I have is with Tom. And I have to say, man, what a pro what yeah. a kind man, what a, what a generous actor to work with. Um, he, he, I, he's the real stuff. He's just, I've always liked he him is. a lot. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about of his, of his you know, religious beliefs. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I, he, he was so available on, off screen. He was just, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And it made it so easy. You'd hope. So, yeah, yeah, no. I, you know. it, 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 he made it so easy to work in an environment that was, in all honesty, I'll taste, kind of intimidating because I hadn't done. I'd always said to myself, "I don't care who I work with. I can work with anybody. No yeah. big deal. I'm not going to be intimidated." Well, there's or a moment on set scared. when you walk on set with no, someone famous. I yeah, get into then, the yeah. van. I get into the van in the morning to go to set. We've had a rehearsal the night before, and I get in the van and I sit there. I've got my cup of coffee in my hand, and all of a sudden I go. You're not going to barf, are you? I mean, you're, you feel, you're kind of barfy, right? You're not going to barf, are you? <laughs> and I made it to set and had some water and, and was okay. But but it was a it was a really fun experience. Well, that's great. And it, it comes out. And Tom held his head back. <laughs> yeah, he held my hair back. Uh, it comes out, I think, December, January. What's it called? It's called, it's called Mina. Mina. M-E-N. Oh, so if it's coming out December, that's like an Oscar push movie. I mean, Doug yeah, Lyman's yeah, yeah. a big deal. No, you it know? is. You know, yeah. and this yeah. is this is one of the roles that it seems that Tom Cruise does every several years where it's not an action movie. It is definitely a movie it's where got, uh, he's got intent. Yeah. yeah he's got it based on a true story, isn't it? It like, is. Yeah, yeah. It's based on a true story about some guy through so any number CIA, of different CIA reasons winds up running drugs and then time. weapons and all that for, for the CIA, which winds up getting very complicated. But, um, yeah, this will, it, this will blow and, the lid off it. And it's one of the big, it's like it's Sony or Universal or Paramount, one of the bigger studios, right? It's, oh, yeah. Uh, do you know I, which, I'm not sure which one it is. One of the big studios. It's, it's a big studio. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, listen, I don't want to take up to, we've got half hour of, you, of your time. I know you got stuff you got to do, but I want to thank you very much, guys. Jordan, thank both. you, buddy. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. And we'll be uh, in touch soon. You know, there's another convention in New York. Are you going to be there? Absolutely. We're both going to yeah. be there, yeah. It's a big year for us on these. This well, is, uh, the it's big the 50th gig. year. You're going to see me again 50. in New York. All right. And uh, we'll have spent a week in New York, so I hope we make it to it. Bur yeah. Bur Birmingham, uh, England, also this year. It's on the cards. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, All right. Well, it's in the stars and on the cards. All right. Well, thanks again, and um, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Nanu, cheers. Nanu. to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it welcome back to engage. engage the official star trek podcast with your host jordan hoffman you are after all irrational okay it is now um morning day 
four. It seems like day 17 of the uh, Star Trek Las Vegas convention. And my guest right now is J.K. Woodward, the illustrator, artist, uh, extraordinaire for uh, current Star Trek comics with IDW Publishing. Good morning, J.K. Good morning. And uh, we were just commiserating. It's very difficult to get a cup of coffee at the Star Trek convention. Oh, my God. Uh, you need to really do a battle strategy. And there's two ways to do it. You could either wait on an hour-long line, or you could um, uh, like you could get room service, but it's so... If a cup of coffee is like eleven dollars, well, either way, you wait an hour. Like right, if you yeah. order room service, you're gonna wait like about an hour before yeah, they come it's, up. It's, with it's, a, it's a little bit. Um, I don't blame Star Trek for this. I blame. I there's no one to blame, but it's just the way it is. So I blame I'm, all of Las Vegas. Right. <laughs> so I'm gripping. Um, I have an orange flavored Gatorade. I don't know why, but I thought maybe that would pep me up. Uh, I know you don't really care about this in the listening audience, but I have an orange-flavored Gatorade, and I'm pretending that it's coffee. So um, anyhow, be that as it may, um, uh, I did an interview just the other day with Sarah Gatos, who I decided we're going to start calling Admiral Gatos, because she's sort of, you know, (laughs) in charge of many different ships. And uh, you, as uh, one of the key, um, the captain of your own ship, uh, one of the key elements... uh, an illustrator of some of the greatest uh, covers that um, in recent times, if you saw the Legacies of Spock, Legacy of Spock uh, series, which was the recent one that, although not to, it wasn't uh, overt about it, it was sort of the um, the Leonard Nimoy has died, we should do something about this yeah. uh, yeah. series. It was four And it was also or- telling a story that needed to be told. Um, you know, the, the what exactly is happening with New Vulcan, what was his role, and that kind of thing. Right, right. So it, um, although we learn in Star Trek Beyond that, that prime timeline Spock has moved on, although Star Trek, you know, never... Just because, well, you know, you never can tell what's going to happen. But yep. um, this was uh, the story of, uh, you know, we saw him in Star Trek Into Darkness uh, for, for 18 seconds on the screen. What was he doing in between Star Trek 09 and those few moments in Star Trek Into Darkness? And what was he doing between that and sort of Spock's retirement? Where did he spend his later years? And I'll tell you, um, it was a very emotional uh very emotional thing, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, it was really cool to be a part of that. So you, you know, th- you must have known when you'd gotten that assignment. It's like, oh, I better. Not that you don't always, but I got to yeah. come correct on this one. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I put a little time into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were also part of the uh, dealer incentive battle royale of Green Lantern Star Trek crossover covers, right? Oh, that was so much fun. <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you. Once I heard Gorns get the red rings, I'm like, oh. <laughs> I get to draw an angry Gorn. <laughs> when is there not an angry Gorn, for yeah. God's sakes? So um, you did, my, I'm not to say this, it was, it was my favorite cover, and probably a lot of fa- people's favorite cover, because it was uh, sort of inspired by Bob Peake's design for Star Trek The Motion Picture's original oh, yeah. poster. Yeah, yeah and, and the fact that it was called The Spectrum Wars actually helped give a reason for that, you know, so, so we got that Star Trek rainbow in there. Yeah. yeah, so how did that process work? There were, there were literally 18 of them, 20, 40? There were a lot. I don't even know. Yeah, there were plenty, though. <laughs> yeah, and so it was just IDW threw out the, the 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 call and said, if you got an idea, come to us? Or was it just... I think that one, I insisted. <laughs> I like went to them and said, I have to do a cover for this. So when I first heard about it, um, I just wouldn't leave Sarah alone until she said, all right, here, do this. Shut up. Go away. <laughs> you know, so... 
that was uh, that was all me getting that job. <laughs> and you said uh, Spectrum More is uh, it, you know it's got to. Oh wait, hold on a second. I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to prove to you that I ain't no jive when I say I love this. I'm going to turn around my computer. I'm closing a hundred windows right now. Oh my god, I have like so many windows open. <laughs> this is a really good buildup. Yeah, great radio. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. You all guys right. should see this. It's covered by a lot of little icons. Oh yeah, but that's yeah. The, that's the backdrop of my desktop. Oh cool. So that's oh wait wait though no that's not mine. Oh shit. That's not mine. <laughs> that oh, is a good. Oh you know, no, my, mine was one. Mine was one that had the uh, there was sort of a battle with a bunch of Romulans and the oh the Romulan other, and a Gorn in the bottom. Yeah right. yeah. Oh, okay. but it had that same it had the same rainbow on you're there. You're right. Like, yeah. You're all right. There was two that was inspired by Bob P. Oh I'm nice so to know. Mine's not your favorite well, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was my second favorite. There were so many good ones that were yeah. them. No, uh, I mean, that's my favorite. So, oh, okay. like, I, I happen to agree with you on that. Uh, this yeah. was designed by Sanchez. Um, yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that was a little bit embarrassing, but we're not going to edit that out because that's life. Sometimes, no, this is... sometimes, sometimes you try to give somebody a compliment and then it doesn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyhow, um, one thing that uh, happened two years ago, which was um, people are still reeling about it. Um, at the convention, at the IDW panel, it came up, people were thanking them, um, brought to life uh, a 50-year uh, or 49-year dream of legendary uh, writer Harlan Ellison. As we know, uh, Harlan Ellison wrote the original draft of uh, City on the Edge of Forever. He wrote it before uh, Star Trek had ever aired. He was one of the original writers brought in because Gene Roddenberry wanted to have true science fiction right. writers on there. Yeah. yeah. So what Harlan Ellison did, um, you know, and he'd written for uh, Outer Limits and he'd written, you know, very well regarded uh, short stories. Um, he wrote a really interesting uh, episode of television that wasn't quite Star Trek. It was like Kirk and Spock and Bones, but they weren't behaving the way Kirk and Spock and Bones were behaving. Well, Bones wasn't even in it, barely. Well, there I mean, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it was also, uh, to be shot, the budget would have been a zillion, it would have broken the bank. So It was a huge cast. Like, there were a lot of characters that ended up getting amalgamated into just Joan Collins, you know? Right, yeah. right, yeah. So uh, when he turned the draft in, uh, Gene Roddenberry and Bob Justman and, and the other uh, producers of the original Star Trek said, there's no way we can do this. And they began uh, a series of, uh, of rewrites, um, which happened a lot on original series. Uh, sure, Rodden yeah. Roddenberry touched it. DC Fontana uh, was the one who really had her fingerprints on it. And, uh, and others, and um, ultimately turned it into what many people consider to be the greatest episode of Star Trek of all time, sure the original really. series, uh, City of the Legend Forever. There was one person who never liked it, and that was Harlan Ellison. Fortunately, and, though, he's, he's very timid and polite, right. so he didn't like, come out and say anything <laughs> about it. So, it yeah. created, and this is all, this is all documented, this is, this is not a secret, it created a war of, for decades between Harlan Ellison and Gene Roddenberry, both of whom... To this day... To this day, don't bring up Roddenberry's name. No, when you're you around Harlan Ellison, you can't. Yeah. Um, they they hated each other. Um, they were both very strong personalities. And to be fair, I think Roddenberry was a lot more polite about it because he's. I, I remember reading a letter, and it was actually published in his book, where he's like, you know, basically saying, "Come on, Harlan, we were good to you. You know, what's what's you know." He's right. Actually, he, he he tried to reach out a couple of times, and Harlan would just slap his hand away. He every was time. he yeah. for whatever reason in in and I I've met Harlan Ellis, and we're we're building to something here. The story's going somewhere. <laughs> I've met him, and, he, and I spent an evening with him. I went out to dinner with him, believe it or not, and he was nothing but wonderful to me. 
but when he gets his teeth into something. So for, for decades, he's been riding the, I hate what happened to me, um, and my version was better. Now, the truth of the matter is, I think that uh, collaboration is important in filmmaking. Sure, yeah. And it surprises me that Harlan doesn't recognize that what ultimately ended up on screen was the best version. However, his version is still cool. It's just not Star Trek. It's something else. Yeah. So... Uh, now, fast forward many, many decades, and IDW Publishing and Harlan are have met up somehow. How did that happen? How did the story even begin? I'm not sure. I know. I know um, Scott Tipton, who did the the um, adaption for comics of, yeah. of Harlan's original script, had known him. I know uh, Chris had known him. I think he was a friend of Peter David's. Uh, when I was working on Fallen Angel, the way I got the job, I was working on Fallen Angel with Peter David, and Harlan loved my work on that. So I think. Something I think early on in the IDW years uh, through Peter David probably is how all how this roads happened. lead to Peter David. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey. um, <laughs> so anyway, it was decided that the script that Harlan wrote would live as a comic book, and and yes, David Tipton uh, wrote the script. Both and Scott and David. Scott yeah. and David Tipton wrote Tipton the script. Tipton Brothers, yeah. Uh, and and you were assigned the task of of creating the artwork. And it was done in a very unique manner, not the typical uh, way of, of doing comics. So can you explain a little bit about uh, how that, and how many, it was five issues altogether? Uh, yeah. It was yeah. five issues. Yep. Five 20-page um, issues. So. Now it's collected into both a soft cover and a hard cover with extra yep. Google. And the hard cover one is really very nice. That's the one I would I definitely have. recommend the hard cover because we went all out. We, Me and the Tiptons, we annotated like every page and right. went through what And what, all what the Easter eggs. And there all were the a Easter lot eggs. of Easter eggs yep. in there. Yep. So first tell me a little bit about what your process was because it was a little different than the typical you know, pen and ink or using Photoshop or Illustrator. Sure. And then we'll talk a little bit about working with Harlan Ellison, which I think you still have. Uh, it was a good experience, but you still maybe. It was a great experience. And we're actually friends now. I, I have his phone number. I can show you on my phone. Awesome. We, we, we talk all the time. We go out to dinner. He has a lovely wife. My wife, my wife gets along with his wife. Wait, what does he call his house? Doesn't he call his house? He give it like a name. It's like oh, uh, a Mars Rover One or something like yeah, that. No, uh, Aztec Temple of Mars. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's well earned. That house. Oh, my God. There's just so much eye candy all over the place. Yeah, I've seen it on. I've seen video of the Aztec Temple. He's of got Mars, secret but. rooms and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's right out of one of his books or something. Yeah. He vaguely invited me there. He said, you know, he didn't give me his con- when I had dinner with him. It was a bunch of people. Yeah. And then he said, Jordan, I really enjoyed speaking with you. And I'm like, that's great. He's like, listen, you ever in, ever on the West Coast? Come to the Aztec Temple of Mars. And then he walked away. I'm like, how do I get there? What's the address? <laughs> you're, you're just you're just supposed to <laughs> What's know your phone number. <laughs> yeah. How do I email you? Um, but anyway, okay. So so tell me a little bit, like I said, about the, the process. process. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I do is 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 very traditional. So it's it's kind of the way. Um, I guess uh, illustrators for advertising would work in the 60s. It's, it's just gouache on uh, hot press cotton, which is kind of like Bristol board. It's, it's a durable paper. Um, I would basically, uh, if I need uh, photo references, then I would act them out. I would, if you look at the hardcover, it's funny because there's pictures of me in crazy pajamas trying to play Starfleet. <laughs> <laughs> but I will take pictures of myself and act out the stuff and, and yeah. certain lighting and stuff so I get photo reference. And then I, I, I actually mask out the paper yeah. and, and do uh, 
pencil it first, and then I go through and I paint it. And then the process is actually um, illustrated in the hardcover. It shows you just how that is. But yeah. basically, every page is like six to eight paintings. They're they're little. You know, each panel is a is a, yeah. is a separate. And painting. these are large paintings. How I mean, for, for yeah, eighteen by twenty four is what the size I work on. Each yeah. panel is eighteen by twenty four. No, no, each page. Each page. Oh, each okay. page. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, so I, I see. So each each page is is an eighteen by twenty four. Yep. So you don't paint. So you 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 kind of know what the page is going to look like. You don't create the panel and then say, "Oh, we're going to shrink this." We're oh gonna, no, yeah, no, yeah. no. I, I I used to work that way, but it's kind of chaotic, and and you can tell. You can tell this panel's been shrunk down. Yeah. You know, you see the brush strokes. But um, no, I started. Um, what I'll do is I'll sketch it out on on just cheap Xerox paper first, yeah. and then oftentimes if I like what I've sketched out, I'll uh, project it. I have a, a opaque projector and just oh, project wow. it onto the page and just you know kind of trace what I've already drawn. And, so let me ask you a stupid question: When you have uh, you've got uh, page four. This one's done. I love it. You've got the painting. How does that then get where it needs to do? You then take a photograph of it and then scan that. Oh, or? I have a I have a large flatbed scanner that can handle it. Yeah. So I just oh, wow. I scan it in at uh, 600 DPI and and you know that way if they need to blow it up for whatever reason it's it's you know super high res. And I how just, big is that? Is it like the size of this table? I mean, how big is that scanner? It's yeah a, yeah it's about like yeah about the, this half the table. Wow. You know before that I had to I had to actually like scan. In like two or three pieces and then put it together in Photoshop right, right. and and it's always off by a couple of pixels or something you know so like I just invested in the big scanner and then I just upload that to the IDW server and this is not the normal I mean you're not the first one to do this but this is not the normal way comics are done right I mean there are very few people working this way not nowadays because with 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 the Cintiq um, and, and you know first off most comic artists work with digital colors and, and pen and ink you yeah. know or, or or virtual pen and ink a lot of them work on Cintiqs now and then they can just just draw in um, uh, programs like Illustrator or Photoshop or something um, it's a much more efficient and cheaper way to work um, the downside, though, is you don't have originals to sell. I was here last year, and oh. I sold almost every page from City on the Edge of Forever. Um, and and, and I'm going to trip around the world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, 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 you know, they don't sell for cheap either. So, yeah. like, it's, it's sort of an extra paycheck, and I don't know how I could even survive on what I make if I didn't have that, that option. Okay, I don't know how cool. these... These people that go just digital, I don't, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, So you prefer working this way, even though it's more difficult. Yeah, it's, uh, I just like the, the sort of tactile experience. Money aside, um, yeah. I, I, like, I like that this, this is a unique thing that exists only here, and you don't get that with digital. I mean, right. it's just it's, it's, it's zeros and ones. You know? Well, um, yeah, and, and, but, but there was, as there always are with, uh, with anything Star Trek related, there was, you always hear stories about the tight timelines, Mm-hmm. And the deadlines. So when you were in the thick of it, how many hours a day were you working on these paintings? Uh, about 20. Like I was sleeping four hours and literally every waking moment was just drawing this and book. And this was about a month? But mm-hmm. It took about a month to do it? Or? Yeah, they, they actually gave me um, six weeks um, okay. for an issue. So basically all I really had to do was like three pages uh, or four pages a week. Um, but oftentimes like, you know, something would come up or, or the script would be late or tied up for whatever reason while mm. we're waiting for approvals or something. And then the, the six weeks would be five weeks. And, you know, so basically I was doing hundred hour work weeks trying to get this thing done for about wow. six months. Yeah. And, uh, were you playing Star Trek music in your studio to keep you pumped? <laughs> was it the, the battle theme from a mock time or? <laughs> yeah. The, the Klingon battle hymns, right. uh, a Klingon opera. No, um, actually what I do is I listen to programs like this. Like it's um, a podcast. Yeah. Podcasts. Yeah. That's ah. kind of what keeps me going. Yeah. Books on tape. Yep. 
That too. Audiobooks, yeah. Oh, no joke. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's almost like having company, you know? <laughs> right. No, that's yeah. good. Because, you know, there's that great movie. I don't know if you ever saw it. Martin Scorsese did a short film uh, with, um, and it was bundled with two other shorts that Woody Allen and Francis Ford Coppola did. It was called New York Stories. And his short was about a painter. It was Nick Nolte played the painter. And he had, this was back in the late 80s. So he had a huge loft in Soho in Manhattan, where now all you have is you know, uh, the gap and, uh, you know, <laughs> banks everywhere. But anyhow, back then you could have a big loft there and he would blast like deep cuts of classic rock while he made these abstract expressionist paintings. <laughs> so to me, and it would echo off the walls of the loft. So he would play Cream oh, that sounds awesome. and uh, Dylan and um, Stones. And this is how I always envision artists working when they're deep into just blasting classic rock as loud as possible. But uh, but no, you were yeah. listening to NPR. Yeah, yeah I can't, if I if I start listening to music, I, t- I tend to lean towards like punk rock, and I just get yeah. too amped and I wouldn't be able to work. You know, I just want to go out. <laughs> right, right, right. You get too amped, yeah. or like the art. Like, no, Edith Keeler. She looks she looks a little too rough. You know, I don't know. Why well, she got a safety pin through right. her nose? <laughs> exactly. But oh, I got to tell my Joan Collins story here. Yes. Last year, she I was here met last year, Joan yeah. Collins. She bought one of my pages. Whoa! And my yeah, my rep came over and said somebody wants to meet you. And I'm I'm like busy with people at my table. Yeah. I'm like yeah, I'll, I'll be there in a minute. And he's like, no, you're gonna want to come right now. I'm like what? And he's trying to save it for a surprise. Like, Joan Collins wants to meet you. I'm like oh oh jeez oh oh. Geez, oh, oh. <laughs> so I, I run over there and I couldn't believe it. She bought the page where Edith Keeler fell down the stairs. Oh, it's the most horrible page. <laughs> But it told me two things. She has a, a weird sense of humor. Right. And, and she loves art. Yeah. <laughs> so. She's like, I'd like a painting of me falling down the stairs, please. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. That's yeah. amazing. So um, so uh, when when IDW and Harlan agree that they're going to adapt this thing, he's uh, in an advisory role with the Tiptons, I'm sure. And the Tiptons yep. are showing... Not, they're not showing in pages like he's their editor, but he's he's kind of in the... Loop. Oh, no. He yeah. he has to approve everything. Oh. You know, he was involved with every step of the way. Deal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, well, this was 50 years he's been waiting for this. He's yeah. wanted to see this episode for 50 years. Part of the reason I was involved, because I have a photorealistic style, they wanted to see what the actual episode would look like. Okay. So this was really important to him, so we definitely checked everything. And then the Tiptons already had a relationship with him, so they had known him, so he was kind of comfortable with them. Yeah. But yeah, he was involved every step of the way. I mean, I had to meet him before I even started and show him like one of the pages I did. All right, so let's talk about that meeting. Where was that meeting, first of all? <laughs> the meeting was at uh, Scott Tipton's store in North Hollywood. Okay. He was there doing a signing, and Chris Ryle was there, and he said, here's a perfect opportunity for yeah. you to meet Harlan. What's the name yeah. of the, his store? Uh, Blast Off Comics. Okay, yeah, Blast it, Off Comics. It's on Lancashire. All right, if you live on the West Coast, hang out there. If you want the address, look at the license plate number of the truck that runs over Edith Keeler (laughs) in the book because that's the number. uh, I can't remember it offhand, but but I basically put the address of their store on the license. That's your clue, folks. Go to. All right, so you go to the store. Are you like a little nervous, or you seem like a? Was I nervous? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was nervous because you weren't sure you were going to get the gig. You were just in contention at this point. Yeah, well, no, I I was pretty sure I was going to get the gig. I was just hoping that I didn't have to redraw every page a million times oh, you know I see. also you know i just seen dreams with sharp teeth and i know what harlan's like yeah i've been a fan since i was seven years old and first saw a boy and his dog so that yeah i was a little nervous in fact i was i i brought a little uh, starfleet flask full of whiskey with me and i was just <laughs> i kept just hitting that bottle until i had the courage to go into the store i was oh, just man. hiding out in the back chris kept coming back going like 
you ready? I'm like, no, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and it went great, though. When I met him, it went great. He loved the pages. First thing he did, though, was insult my wardrobe because he's Harlan. He asked, you know, I I was almost relieved I got that out of the way. It's like I got the first insult. (laughs) I'm good now. (laughs) Yeah, he does. That's his thing is when he first meets you is to insult you. And I I always wonder what would happen if somebody insulted him back. I think I think plenty have and i think yeah. he would just enjoy that okay. but i i feel like yeah i felt like i was being tested or something you know you, were. Like, yeah. you absolutely yeah. were yeah i i hope I, I did i obviously did the right thing so he I said just, what's the matter kid you can't wear a nice pair of pants or he, something like he that? went on this big diatribe he wouldn't let it go he's he's like i know you probably think you're wearing that ironically and those pants those shorts are cool or something you think it's <laughs> hip and i'm going like i'm just sitting there laughing the whole time he's talking because it was hilarious oh, but, and i was nervous as hell yeah, but, yeah. but uh you know then we went out to dinner he's he's a great uh, in a dinner conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. the best guy to go have dinner with. Yeah. yeah. Well, when when I had uh, dinner with him two years ago, I guess it was two years ago. It was me and a number of other people. Uh, Chris Royale, you're from IDW, was there, and a few sure. others. And uh, he was just holding court and whipping out zingers nonstop. Yeah. And at yeah. one point, I excused myself to go to the restroom, and what I did was I whipped out my phone and just started jotting in my notes. I was like. I blasted down like 10 of the zingers <laughs> that I'd heard that night. Yeah. And then when I got back to the hotel here at the Rio, I went upstairs and then immediately wrote down, I wrote an email to myself of all the zingers that uh, I didn't have. And then I tried to collect them all in one place. <laughs> and I can't tell you any of them because they're, this podcast is a family-oriented sure. podcast. So. so, But you're going to eventually write a book like Harlan Ellison's My, Big Book of yeah, Zingers he, or something? He said some pretty outrageous <laughs> yeah. things about oh, people, yeah. uh, p- other people in the comics industry, which I thought was pretty funny. It's, I, I, I purposely try to get him on a tirade because <laughs> it's just so entertaining. Yeah. All right, so cool. So you got his stamp of approval, and then mm-hmm. the process is you're do- while you were making the paintings, you were showing him pages or did he yeah. leave you alone uh he, he well he left me alone but i uh, out of a courtesy i would yeah. you know and, and i just wanted any excuse to talk to him so i'd sure. call him up i'd show him pages i know uh chris was uh sending everything to him chris yeah. Ryle, because he was the editor on the book yeah um so he was involved the whole time and i i kind of wanted his feedback i wanted yeah. to know that did i did i get these space pirates right was this what you were thinking you know yeah. at the same time i'm trying to uh, balance that with what would it look like if it was filmed in the 60s you know there was a desire to do grand helicopter shots and you know like mm. things like that but then it would take you kind of out of it because you want to see you know the whole idea was what would this look like if you could do it although there was planet shots where i had these big wide shots that they would have never done right on the, when they were on the yeah. ice planet yeah or, um, yeah but I tried to minimize that so it yeah. felt like an episode. You know? Yeah, so we're joking around about Harlan, the the kind of the nutty social guy, but um, I'm sure he had some really interesting feedback that was very helpful to you along the way. Oh, yeah. Well, well, mostly, you know, I had, I had read his uh, teleplay in the 90s when he put out that book, mm-hmm. so I was already familiar with it, and I had my own ideas. And really, um, everything I kind of came up with, he was good with. So it kind of went a lot smoother than I thought it was going to go. And uh, the thing is, he was very generous. We, we talk about a crotchety old man he is, yeah. but I mean, he's very generous with his praise. Yeah. Um, so if you do something right, he's just as vocal about that as yeah. if you do something wrong. Well, there is a forward in the book, in the hardcover, that is just, uh, I'm sure you have cut out and put on your phone. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, he's <laughs> yeah. said some really nice things about you and the Tipsons as well. So were you a, a huge Trek fan growing up, or did you kind of grow into it later in, in life? I no, mean, when- I, abs- I remember seven years old watching, watching it in syndication. Yeah, you know, there's nothing I look forward to more than I, I wish I could remember the channel or what time it was on. Yeah. But I, I remember watching it in syndication, so I grew up watching Star Trek, seeing every episode. You know, by the time I was ten, I've seen every episode like twenty times. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, you know, I remember when TNG first came out, the first commercial about the next generation came out while I was at a keg party in high school. Oh my God. <laughs> and I, I made everybody shut off the music. I'm like, whoa, 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 what, what, is what, what is this? What is this? It's a Klingon on the bridge. There's a Klingon. <laughs> and then like, you know, I, sh- I was kind of like, you know, my friends were kind of the rocker guys, you know? Yeah. So I was like, I showed my true geek colors. Right. Right? Like all of a sudden they're like, we, who are you? <laughs> we were not inviting you to the next party. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, oh, man, that's really funny. So uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, Massachusetts. Mass- I could, yeah. was going to say, your T-shirt is giving it away. You have Somebody wearing- got this for me as a joke. I'm, I'm, I'm a complete California now. Right, I, but I, it, what it is, it's, a, it's the um, logo of uh, Jack Daniels whiskey. And if you, don't, if you glance at it quickly, you just think, oh, that guy's wearing a, a Jack Daniels whiskey T-shirt. But it actually says Mass Hall on it. And it's got... Uh, townie attitude. Yeah, townie attitude, <laughs> townie Massachusetts. Attitude. It's, uh, it's funny. So uh, un, uh, probably an unlicensed shirt. So, yeah. uh, but that's okay. You know, I, when, when I'm here, when the CBS gang is here, whenever I, like, I have some really fun, unlicensed Star Trek t-shirts. And I think I wore one two days ago. And when I saw, like, I'm like, oh my God, am I going to get in trouble for You're it? just wearing, <laughs> wearing it right in front of CBS. Right. Like, I don't know if I should do that. But um, it was one of the really funny ones. What was so it? it? Well, it's all right. It, not only is it unlicensed by CBS, it's unlicensed by Warner Brothers. So it's two, two corporate oh. entities. It's um, the Batman logo. But if you look closely, it's a Batleth, and it says Batleth Man on it. Oh, <laughs> where'd you get that? Is it, it was one of those T Fury things? That uh, you can't... Actually, I bought it here. Oh, really? A couple years ago, and I haven't seen it since. Oh, um, I need that. You know what it is? I, the CBS licensing team, uh, as and you could listen to the uh, episode I did with John Van Sitters. They they have an obligation to keep the brand. Uh, you know, they have sure. an obligation to protect the brand. That was actually but, a great episode. I'm glad you did that oh, because cool, there cool. was like the, the, there was only one side of the story kind of being oh, told yeah, on yeah. the internet. No, so, I'm glad yeah. we did that too because there was only one side being told. Uh, yeah. They have an obligation to protect the brand, but they also have a sense of humor. So when something sure. is really cool and when it's just one guy and he's not making a lot of money, and I don't think this guy was, you know. I don't, I don't know that that's a major issue. But you know what? I probably shouldn't be talking about any of that. But <laughs> be that as it may, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you got um, coming up? I know some things are secretive. Sarah told me that there is going to be a new crossover similar to what they did with Green Lantern, with Planet of the Apes, with Doctor Who. But mm-hmm. she wouldn't tell me with what because she's okay. smart because she knew that if she told me. Okay, so that is, that is happening. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if we were going to. There's something else I wanted, uh, I wanted well, to hint at, What she also too. said to me was that not only am I not telling you because, you know, I, I've got a big mouth. It's also the, the, the ink is not dry. So it yeah. may not, but it's likely to happen. But I don't know what it is. It's, so. it's, it's very likely to happen. In fact, yeah. um, uh, we've already worked, me and the Tiptons have already worked out an outline for it and everything. So okay. like, there's no script yet, but yeah, we're just waiting for the green light, the official green light, and then bang, we're off and running. Oh my God. But let, yeah, let me tease it this way. We're getting the band back together. The Tiptons and I uh, are going to start working together again. Now, we've worked together on the Star Trek Doctor Who crossover, the City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. We do good work when we're together. So yeah. um so this is exciting in and of itself, but there's actually two things um, that are coming up that we're we're doing, and one of them was the crossover you mentioned. Yeah. The other one is a very very interesting idea that we've been waiting for forever, is and this, that's all I'm going to say. Is this part of the waypoint, lo- the, the waypoint storyline, or nope? 
Nope, something so, different. See, Sarah's so smart. She didn't even tell me this because she knew I would try to needle her for questions. <laughs> yep. I'm, All right. I'm closing up. All right. Cool. You. Well, listen, yeah. I mean, you, you are, and you, you don't just work on Star Trek stuff. You have other other irons in the fire, right? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, constantly. And then not, not even just comics. I mean, I'm like working directly with CBS right now on some style guides and stuff. So I just, I'm. I'm a hardworking illustrator. Awesome. So if people want to see more of your work, what are some of the other uh, comics that you're doing? Well, I, I mean, for three years, I worked with Peter David on his creator-owned Fallen Angel. Awesome. And I did that with IDW. And then and then after the three years, we kept it running for three years, and then we did uh, some miniseries after that. And now, I, I met Peter David years ago. He's the nicest guy that ever walked the earth. Sure, yeah. He's the sweetest, yeah. kindest funniest dude yeah but he's out on the east coast so how does that you, yeah. you is this mostly an email thing or you see him once a year or uh yeah well when I, when i first started it was i mean fallen angel was like 2005 so texting wasn't quite as popular then we, right. we'd actually talk on the phone we, we, <laughs> we would you know discuss uh, right. what what he liked about what i was doing what he didn't like about what i was doing so right. that every issue got better and better so, okay so yeah it was like that but his I, criticism was kind you're like well you know I yeah think he, well he didn't really uh, it was more like asking questions and he answered my questions you okay. know more than criticism like like what, what do you think uh, can we do this with this character or, I you know that kind of thing so. cool cool all right so fallen angel and then like you say you're working on um wait you're you're when we see something that's official star trek floating around the internet or just in general it's it possible that your fingerprints were on it there it may be my illustration okay yeah. now yeah. i'm gonna try i'm gonna guess each time i say i think that may be a jk <laughs> i'm not sure well maybe maybe right. talk talk to john maybe he'll let you know what, no it's what i like exactly. i like yeah. the mystery i like the okay. mystery. all right well listen i've taken up a lot of your time it's been about a half hour i know you have a uh, adoring fans in the other room that want your yeah, signature well, on their work sure yeah maybe joan collins <laughs> is back she wants more. Who knows? <laughs> I feel like I never really sealed that deal. I think, I think she was flirting with me. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, thanks for talking to us, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, thanks, man. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, uh, Connor Trenier, Dominic Keating, J.K. Woodward, and thank all of you for joining us. You can tweet at me at, at Jay Hoffman. You can follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash engage the official Star Trek podcast. You can email me, jhoffman555 at Gmail. You can go to iTunes. Oh, my God. There's so many things you can do. Do them all. And do them all at once, and do them, uh, if, you, if you do it past Warp 10, you do them all over the galaxy at once. So it's, you know, that's the way to do it. We'll catch you next week with some more interviews and some new stuff. We're getting close to September, folks. We're getting close to new news on Discovery. So we'll be back real soon. Please live long and prosper. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.